Equality of educational opportunity has long been a stated goal of education in this province. The polka dot door, the polka dot door, let's peep through the polka dot door. Good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome once again to Saturday Night at the Movies. My name is Elwi Yost. Today's special, shout it loud and clear, today's special. One of the realities of hosting a daily television program is that you get a disproportionate amount of attention, both good and bad. But the reality is there is an entire team of producers and technical crew that I work with, and without them, nothing would get to air. Today on TVO at 50, we'll talk with two of those people who have fundamentally shaped our organization. First up, Vodik Schemberg, a longtime producer on countless shows over the years at TVO. I don't know what Vodek thinks of me, but I think of him as one of my closest friends. The second is Diane Rowe, who just retired after four decades of making our guests look as presentable as possible for the cameras. Poor Diane has had to make me up for 28 years as well. She's someone with whom I've shared numerous quiet moments as she made this mug of mine suitable for television. Diane Rowe. And first up, Vodek Schemberg. Are you now the longest-serving employee currently working at TVO? I believe I am. What year did you start? I started in 1977. Uh, I got a gig uh, uh, for the duration of the summer of that year. Uh, and then the following year, I, I was able to obtain a full-time position in the research department. I was hired by a fellow Pole a man who is no longer with us, the late Ignaz Ivanievich, uh, who discovered my name on an application form. And, uh, uh, and, and he remembered that, uh, that the name Schemberg belonged to a family that uh, lived on the same street as he did. You know? What a coincidence. One of the things that I've found so fascinated about your career at TVO mm-hmm. is that you know, most people, Vodek, only work on one show at one time. And you, even when you were working at Studio 2, you had these other things on the side. You were producing Flying Solo, or you were producing Mr. Jones, which was a show about, uh, you know, culture in Ontario. Or you were putting together the Best, best Lecturer competition, mm-hmm. or your Big Ideas, where you discovered Jordan Peterson. I think we should put this on the record, that you're the guy who actually put Jordan Peterson on TV for the first time ever, Right. That's right. Yeah, but but this was Mr. Jones. That was on Mr. Jones. Uh, 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 Mr. Jones. Yes. Yes. Well, why don't we start there? What did you see in yeah. him that you found uh, compelling to put on TV? I was uh, we were producing a program about religion, and and I was I was looking for some new voice uh, that was able to address the problem of religious faith and the persistence of it, um, and so I just kept uh, searching and I ran into 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 uh, his website uh, UFT website uh, he just uh, well uh, I guess uh, within within a year or so he he uh, um, uh, within the year before before we uh, before we met um, he got a job at, at, at UFT as a professor of psychology and and so I had no idea who he was I I called him up and we talked and uh, I discovered in him a man of, uh, of, 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 of great intensity, great passion, something he obviously has not lost. Uh, 
uh, after after all these years, and uh, and and I, I recognize, you know, because in some ways uh, the job of a producer is to look for guests who bring that quality to the screen that makes people want to keep watching the screen, you know, and 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 a certain kind of fluency and intensity and passion is what arrests uh, viewers' attention. I know the thing that I always saw about Jordan was that uh, unlike most nice Canadian guests who at some level, when they get in, engaged in a debate on a current affairs program, you know, are really not trying to, um, you know, get into a nasty fight with somebody. Jordan did not bevel his edges at all when he was on a show. He knew what he stood for. He knew what he wanted to say. And he really didn't care if you didn't agree with him or didn't like him. He was going to stick to his guns. And, the, and obviously that's gotten even more so in later years. Did you see that in him at the beginning? Uh, no, not in the beginning. It's, it's, only, it's only after, after a while. Uh, um, because, because in some ways, you know, I, I had him on Mr. Jones. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he has been on Studio 2. Uh, but obviously, he became a frequent guest on on the agenda later on. Yes, and it's only it's only when he was on the agenda that I began to recognize uh, the extent to which uh, he was willing to uh, uh, to cross certain lines, you know. And and uh, I remember uh, memorably, he asked me after one panel discussion where he uh, where he disagreed with a with a female panelist. Uh, um, he asked me about about how far he can go in expressing his displeasure with an, another person's opinion. You know, um, so we had a conversation about about that. Uh, what did you say? He, uh, I said, I said, that, you know, uh, it, it, it depends whether the guest is a female or a male. You know, you don't display anger towards female guests. It that you you. Yeah, there's more of room for doing so with male guests, but not female guests. Um, and uh, and and, uh, but but the thing is, the thing about Jordan is that is that uh, he is passionate, he is intense, uh, um, uh, not always uh, in the right proportions. Um, I believe that he sometimes cannot control. Um, his disagree his feelings that he has about disagreeing about certain issues, there, there, you know, there, there is. There, I mean, you know, I've recognized uh, with time that that uh, Jordan is very much a a a, um, a someone who is both intellectual and a scientist, but primarily there's something kind of rabbinical about him. You know, hmm. uh, he. Um, he likes he likes to he likes to profess, he likes to persuade, he likes to um, uh, have people recognize the uh, how how important and how how uh, serious uh, issues are. You know, the, I, I'm just I'm just realizing that that office what attracted my attention to him and what attracts my attention. To, uh, to all kinds of guests uh, is precisely the quality of seriousness. Let me bring you now to the uh, 19, mid-1990s and beyond. And for the next 12 years, you worked on Studio Two. You were a producer on Studio Two. And I, I guess just parenthetically, I should say, 
Uh, I organized a kind of a Studio 2 reunion on Zoom not too long ago, and we had about 40 people, uh, including our chair and CEO, Peter Herndorf, from back in the day, uh, on that Zoom feed. And I remember purposefully leaving you to the end. Everybody, like everybody who was on that Zoom feed said a little something about what they're doing now and what they did then and, you know, a little memory. And I, I wanted you to, to finish that Zoom feed because I knew you'd have something profound to say, and you did. W would you mind sharing that here? Between the mid-80s and the mid-90s, uh, uh, much of the time when Peter Herndorf uh, was our CEO, I think TVO enjoyed its its uh, its best times. You know, um, um, there was lots of energy. There was uh, lots of ambition. Um, uh, we um, we felt we felt that uh, uh, we felt that that TVO mattered a great deal. Well, I'll push back on that. I think I think mm -hmm. TVO still does matter. I think one of the big and I, I I don't see any lack of I don't I, I genuinely don't see any lack of of ambition or energy around the place now. What I see is some financial realities, which is you know we can't do what you did back then. We just can't. We can't be flying all over the yeah. world to do stuff anymore. Yeah. We yeah. don't have the money yeah. for it. No, and and and, and, and unquestionably, but then we know we know that that uh, that. Um, Access to funds, you know, access to money, uh, uh, gives people a sense of the significance uh, that the place holds, you know. And and, and you're right. And, and perhaps, perhaps uh, we should uh, fundamentally understand that as a, in some ways, as a function of uh, having to live with with uh, within within the narrow confines of, of our budget. Um, well, then let me ask you this. I'll ask you the follow-up mm -hmm. question, which is, you know, the logistics of, of trying to get television on the air, of trying to create content, is is really difficult. I'm, I'm sure the public doesn't have the first idea about the difficulties of, of booking guests, of booking satellite feeds, of testing those satellite feeds, putting a question sheet together, putting a research package together, deciding what to cover, what not to cover. I mean, this is stuff you've been doing for decades now. Mm -hmm. If you were doing this at a bigger station, you'd probably have a staff of three or four or five people helping you do this. Yes. You do it all on your own now, uh, as you have. And, and um, you know, I just wonder how this, you know, you're 70 now. There are some days I think to myself, he doesn't need this. I mean, he could retire and be <laughs> leading a much more peaceful existence. Why do you still do it? I am doing this uh, because uh, because um, the same instincts uh, I had for television, you know the, the thing about television. I I because I, I like I like uh, uh, the broadcasting part of it. You know I like the breadth of it. I like the idea of what we do being watched by many people. Um, uh, you and I have had this kind of ongoing, perhaps. Uh, Disagreement about about the importance of of of, of ratings, you know. Uh, you being your orthodox uh, public broadcaster, uh, <laughs> I won't sully myself thinking yeah, about it. <laughs> yeah, you won't sully yourself. Uh, uh, I, of course, am, am not as as, as uh, orthodox as you are about these about these matters, and so I care a great deal about 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 numbers. Uh, not that our numbers are. are, are uh, huge, of course, they are, they are, they are, they are minuscule in comparison with, 
with the kinds of numbers uh, other outlets get, or or even even uh, the kinds of uh, view, uh, viewership that uh, uh, all manner of YouTube channels receive, you know. Um, but uh, uh, but but uh, the, the the broadcasting part always spoke to me. I I like the power of influence that the television used to have and, and perhaps uh, doesn't have it as much as as, as as it did because younger people no longer watch television, you know, as such. Yeah, but they're watching your shows on YouTube. I'll tell you that. I I, I you know okay you, you the, the show about Jordan Peterson. Where mm-hmm. he got into a fight with almost everybody else on the panel, and said, I'd, "I'll go to jail in defense of not having to use pronouns I don't want to use." If they find me, I won't pay it. If they put me in jail, I'll go on a hunger strike. You I'm thought- not doing this. That's that. How many people have watched that on YouTube? Four point two million people. Okay, there you go. So you know, we may not have the audience on television, you know, in a no, classic sense, no. but holy cow, they're yes. still watching in other ways. Yes, yes, and, and so yes. So thank God for YouTube. Thank God for the multiplier effect, uh, unquestionably. Um, but but you know the, the but the real the real pleasure, the real the kind of perverse, not perverse, it's not perverse. The 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 kind of uh, the kick I get out of uh, producing uh, for TVO is that that every every often so. Um, we are able to um, put out someone. Uh, I used to used to experience that very much with big ideas, where we had uh, where we had lecturers, you know, uh, who uh, you know uh, who are academics, you know, and and uh, and who do not uh, speak uh, the language of of uh, uh, of everyday politics. And and TVO uh, was able to afford us, afford me, and afford uh, many viewers the access to all kinds of very uh, interesting, uh, complex thinkers. You know, and I think that that uh, TVO, precisely because it is not commercial, because it is not large like the CBC, was able to cater to all kinds of of um, smaller niches. You know. Uh, and 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 I think and I think that I particularly enjoyed uh, producing for those smaller niches, even though, of course, I like the large numbers. <laughs> well, I I unhesitatingly say that for a man I've worked with uh, for more than a quarter of a century, you still have the most dazzling intellect of anybody I've ever worked with. It is a it is a constant joy to continue to work with you. And without question, you have the best hair of anybody in the place. <laughs> I don't know about the previous stuff you said, but the hair, I agree with you. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I have great hair. I'm very grateful for it. <laughs> well, that is Vodek Schemberg, Renaissance man at TVO, having produced uh, or led eight different shows and today is our longest serving employee. Vodek, dziękuję bardzo. Do widzenia. Dziękuję. Do widzenia, panu. For many guests who have appeared on TVO, the last person they saw before heading into our studio was makeup artist Diane Rowe. Often, guests would be nervous as they sat in the makeup chair, and Diane would not only make them look their best, but she'd also make them feel their best. She made them relax, which no doubt contributed to better interviews in the studio. 
Diane's career spanned numerous shows, including Today's Special, Studio 2, and The Agenda. She was one of those people who made coming to work at TVO just a lot more enjoyable. Diane, I'm wondering just how empty your life is now that you don't have my face to apply makeup to uh, five days a week. Uh, it's really empty and I've forgotten all my skills. <laughs> it's been so long since I've made anybody up. Well, I hope you haven't forgotten me. <laughs> no, I haven't. Good. I'm glad to hear that. It's very, you know, I have to tell you, I mean, I always appreciated what you did, but I, now that I have to come in and make my own self up every day, uh, you know, which isn't the end of the world, but I don't really know what I'm doing and you did. So it's not surprising. I don't look quite so good on the air anymore. I thought it was very funny when you were running out of makeup and I asked you to confirm the number that I, uh, that I needed to order and you told me the color was brown. <laughs> <laughs> not, not quite the uh, kind of technical information that you were looking for, eh? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just say that that elegant English accent belongs to Diane Rowe, who was one of the first ever employees at TVO. Uh, she was a makeup artist who saw thousands and thousands of hosts and guests in her chair over 40 years at TVO, including the guy talking to her right now. That's about accurate, isn't it, Di? Yes. So what year did you actually start at TVO? I started in um, 1979. 79. Okay. So the place wasn't even 10 years old yet. And you just retired this past summer in the year 2020. So that is, that is really an astonishing long run. Why did you want to stay so long? Um, because I enjoyed what I was doing. And how about the people you had to do it with? I enjoyed them too. And it was never boring. There were always lots of different people would come in every day. Hmm. Now, people may not know this, but being the makeup artist means, yes, you do makeup, but you are also from time to time, you know, a bit of a mother confessor, a bit of a psychiatrist, a bit of a handholder. Did you find that when you got either hosts or guests in your chair, that people just naturally started talking to you about their lives and their problems and so on? Well, quite often people were nervous. So um, they used to like to come into the makeup room and uh, I would try to make them relax and take their mind off uh, the fact that they were going to be on camera and interviewed. So a lot of it is just making people feel uh, comfortable and not so anxious. And how did you do that? Making what would be small talk, but uh, when people come in on a regular basis, you really get to know them. And so um, then you become friends. Hmm. Well, I mean, that was certainly the, in our case, I'd like to think, although, you know, it's been miserable because of COVID. I haven't seen you in ages. I know, I, I got, I'm sorry. I, got, I used to get, you know, I got very accustomed to seeing you pretty much every day of my working life for 28 years. And now here we are, it's like six, seven months later, I haven't seen you once in all that time. It's just not right, Diane. But you didn't speak to me though. It was like being married because you just used to have your head <laughs> in your research and I knew not to distract you. Well, you know, that, that's how things would start. That's very true. If we're telling yeah. tales out of school here, that's true. I would come in, we'd make a little small talk, but then as soon as I got in the chair, I had my nose in my briefing notes, that's for sure, or finishing up a book I had to read. And yes, well, I guess we were like an old married couple. We didn't talk too much. But then at a certain point, I guess, um, I guess I put the notes down and we would chat a little bit. And, and it's true. Like I'd tell you about my life and you'd tell me about your life. And um, 
I thought we had a lovely relationship going on 28 years. <laughs> we did. And it's part of a makeup artist's job to know um, when to speak and when not to speak because people are learning lines and doing research and uh, they need to be able to focus. Ah, okay. Well, let's state the obvious here. You've had prime ministers in your chair, premiers, actors, singers, hosts, everything in between. Um, and you've had every TVO host, I guess, for the past 40 years in there too. Now, the makeup room, Diane, as you know, is considered an off-the-record place, meaning you're supposed to keep the secrets of everything that you hear in that room. My question is, are you prepared to spill some of the beans today? Uh, not, I can tell stories, but not name names. Gotcha. Well, let's, let's name a few names here, and you can get as adventurous as you want in telling stories about these people. I do remember a time when the mayor of Calgary, Nahid Nenshi, came on the program, and he was sitting in your chair, and what did he do next? He uh, very politely asked me to excuse him. He said, uh, would you mind just waiting a moment? I have to make a phone call. And then he called and he said he declared a state of emergency in Calgary <laughs> because of flooding. And then he very calmly just carried on with the makeup and then went on the set to do an interview with you before um, he went to the airport to fly back to Calgary. I shouldn't laugh about it, but the fact is he told you that he was declaring a state of emergency in Calgary before he told anybody else. So that is kind of funny. Uh, what about the great prima ballerina, Karen Kane? Uh, she was lovely. Uh, she was on today's special and she came in and uh, I remember I made her up and I put her hair up in a bun and I was thinking Karen Kane, like ballerinas put their hair up in buns like a million times and, and they're very good at it. So um, I remember keeping my fingers crossed that please don't fall down as she was uh, dancing with my bun. But um, I always remember that she was very lovely. How about Moby? Well, because I'm a little bit older, I haven't always heard of all the guests that come into TVO. So I saw there was someone called Moby on the call sheet. So I texted my daughter and said, uh, Jamie, who's Moby? He's, come, he's in for makeup and he, he doesn't really want makeup, but I'm going to try and put some powder on him. And she thought that that was hilarious because, of course, she knew who Moby was. And also, I texted her another time to say, uh, Jamie, we have MIA in. Who's MIA? So there again, she had to send me... Um, a video of this beautiful woman who performed at the Grammys. She was mm. about to give birth. And oh, yes, that's who it is. Yeah, the kids love her, no question. Yes. How about, I remember well when your fellow Brit, Russell Watson, came in. What a voice he had. What do you remember about that? Yes, I really love Russell Watson, uh, partly because he was born in the Manchester area where I was. And uh, he came in with his entourage, I remember, the, we watched the, um, the limo park outside TVO, which doesn't happen every day. And Jerry Wilkinson, who was the floor director, had made a huge effort with the set. 
and there were candles everywhere and it was all very beautiful. And I remember he came in and one of his team asked me if um, I could get him a dry biscuit. Well, because I'm from England, I knew what a biscuit was, whereas I think someone who was Canadian might not know what he was asking for. Well, confirmed. I don't know. What's a dry biscuit? Well, it's a, it's a cookie that's like a, a digestive cookie, something that um, is just plain. So I went off to get him some dry biscuits, but I did learn afterwards that dry biscuit is an urban term and it's uh, used with women when they're not very forthcoming with men. But oh. <laughs> I don't think that that was what he was asking for. <laughs> okay. Another new one to me. I didn't realize that. Okay, good. How about the cellist Yo-Yo Ma? You met him as well. He was incredible. He came to um, Toronto when the music garden was opening and he was such a warm person and I remember Paula Todd was the host, but when he was on the set, it was as if we were all his guests and he was our host. And he was like offering to get people like a cup of tea or whatever. And hmm. we're saying like, hold on a minute, like you're the guest. But uh, he was just such a great person and so talented. Can I tell you a story here? Yes. I want to tell you a story of the time that one of my sort of heroes in journalism, Seymour Hirsch, the great investigative journalist, when he came in uh, to get made up, and I guess Mr. Hirsch is probably 80 years old, something like that. And I remember watching you make him up and I didn't say anything. I just watched and listened. And he asked you about how long you were doing your job for. And he asked you about the kind of makeup you used. And he asked you about how long it typically took you to make people up. And he asked you about how many years you've been doing it for. And on and on and on. And it occurred to me at that moment, this is one of the reasons why this guy is such a great journalist, because he's just got an insatiable curiosity about everything from the Vietnam War to Richard Nixon to Donald Trump to Diane Rowe and how she makes people up. That, that was my takeaway from that. What, do you remember that at all? Yes, and also, I mean, he didn't have to speak to me, right? Like a lot of people don't necessarily engage in, in conversation, so. Um, but he did, because he yes. just needed to know. Mm-hmm. He's just, he, I found that so amazing that he was, and Bob Woodward was, a, was I, I remember the same way as well uh, when I met him. Uh, we had a dinner together, and when the waiter brought in some of the food, um, you know, he asked the same kinds of questions over and over and over again. You know, what are we? What are you serving here? And how long have you worked here? And what's this place like? And you know, that was just a great lesson that it doesn't matter who you're talking to or what the subject is. You know, if you're curious about how the world works, that's a great way to be if you're in journalism. So I took note of that. Now, Diane, you have retired, so there are no consequences to answering this question honestly. You ready? Yes. Who was the most difficult, prickly, irritating TVO host that you ever had to make up? Um, I can't think of any <laughs> TVO hosts that were difficult because uh, TVO, um, people don't tend to have big egos. So um, I think I was lucky in that uh, everyone was very easy to get along with for the most part. Whereas I think for makeup artists that are working on uh, feature films and uh, 
they probably come into contact with more difficult personalities. Well, I'm delighted to know that the answer to that question is not me. No. So that's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's Diane Rowe, makeup artist extraordinaire for 40 years at TVO. Diane, it's great to talk to you again. And once COVID behaves itself, I look forward to seeing you again. Yes, I'll come and visit. Amen. (laughs) Thanks, love. You're welcome. And that's it for us. This episode of TVO at 50 was produced by Katie O'Connor and Matthew O'Mara. Editing by Donnie Swanson. Research help from Kate Petch, Carol Elder, and Elizabeth Carroll. Our production support coordinators are Jonathan Hallowell and Nikki Ashworth. Would you like to share your TVO memories? What does TVO mean to you? Well, record yourself and email the audio to us using the address tvo at 50 at tvo.org. That's TVO, A-T, and the numbers 50 at tvo.org. And we'll play these on future episodes. Next time on the podcast. So let me tell you a story. So when I was at one of those graduations, I was amazed. So the oldest graduate of the ILC, 83. (laughs) Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) Decided to go back to school. So he wasn't able to get uh, uh, his high school diploma and decided to go back to school because his kids have said to him, you know, you you need to do that. And he decided to do that. So I'm just, you know, between your stories and mine, the, 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 the learners in the ILC are as diverse as you can imagine and have stories um, that are so hopeful and so resilient. They're, they're just really, really inspiring. I'm Steve Pakin. Bye-bye. <laughs>